You're listening to GGR Pirate Radio. Don't be a juice bag. You could have shown me anything. <laughs> At that point, I was going to be like, okay, we go to the planet of the brothers next? Okay, that's fine. You know, oh, you're retreading a bunch of old scripts. Hey, no problem. Welcome, dear listeners, to Season 3, Episode 1 of Federation Conversations, or FedCon for short. I'm your host, Mariah Beachboard. Also with me are BJ Robinson and Mike Lunsford, and today I am so excited to have a very respected member of the Trekkie fandom with us, Commodore Yuli Campbell. Yay! Well, thank you so much, Captain Beachboard. I guess I, I again, I, I, I have to ask, Permission to come aboard, Captain. As always, very granted. We're going to have an awesome time this episode. We're going to talk briefly, because I know we could talk for hours, about what we saw in 2023. And then um, I'm super excited because Commodore Campbell is going to tell us what it was like at the beginning of the Trekkie fandom. And listeners, I got a chance to listen to him for just, I don't know, 20 minutes in a conversation. It was I was in awe. So I'm very excited to be able to share this with you guys. So real quick, we're going to run through and talk about 2024. I know we we were all aware that Picard came out and Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks. So I want to hear um, all of you tell me uh, what was your favorite? What do you think could have been done better? And what are you excited about for the future? Yuli, let, let's hear you. Well, um, my perspective on all of this, and, and I'm, this is, you know, sort of precursor to, to what I have to say, but my perspective, um, I think in some ways is a little unusual uh, for um, older fans. Now, I, 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 am, I am not in the sense that I wasn't able to watch all of the original episodes when they were first broadcast on NBC. I was just a little too young. I did watch uh, some of the third season, even though it came on on Friday nights at 10 o'clock at my tender young age, but discovered the show in syndication. So for the longest time, the only Star Trek that was, was the original series. This new world that fans live in now, where uh, we have an embarrassment of riches of Star Trek. You know, I mean, cause even when Star Trek, the next generation first debuted back in 1987, uh, that was a big deal because it was like, Oh my God, more Star Trek. And, you know, we'd had some movies and that was a big thing too, but to have Star Trek back on television, that was, I mean, you know, cause you could see it every week. You know? <laughs> it wasn't like the movie that you go see. And on top of it, they were actually extending the 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 legend of Star Trek by the fact that it wasn't Kirk and Spock and McCoy and the people that you had come to be familiar with on the original series. But we had all these new characters set in the same universe of the Federation. So uh, it was it was a really exciting time. And, you know, similar to now in that we're getting these new shows and these new characters and. Uh, one of the things that I think is important about looking at Star Trek, particularly the original and its longevity and the impact that it had on the, the culture, is you have to look at it from the perspective of viewers in the mid-1960s in the United States, because there was nothing like this show on network TV at the time. You know, I mean, you still had Westerns dominating stuff um it was overwhelmingly white and male and into this you inject a multicultural crew and not even just multicultural i mean you had aliens who were part of this crew you had um 
science fiction used uh, as an allegory to tell all these other stories that couldn't make it past the network television censors in 1966. And so there were a lot of people who really became enamored with the show because of these things, on top of which uh, Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry really wanted to do something memorable in terms of science fiction. And he engaged a number of noted science fiction authors to write these scripts. He also engaged actual science because NASA scientists watched this show. He had uh, science advisors who he would run episode scripts by to make sure that there was some sort of scientific basis for the way the ship operated, the way the technology operated, the different solutions that the crew found to their various problems, which separated this show from a show like Lost in Space, which was another very popular show at the time, but that they, they had no concerns for the accuracy scientifically of anything that the Robinson family did on board the Jupiter too. So, uh, so there was all that. Uh, anyway, all that to say that where we are now, you know, with this cornucopia of Star Trek and the embarrassing embarrassment of riches that we enjoy to the point where fans can now cherry pick and say, Oh, well, I don't like, uh, Star Trek Discovery, or, you know, I don't like Star Trek Prodigy. Uh, it's not real Star Trek. I mean, you know, because the, the other part of that, and, and you know, this is kind of where I was going with uh, what I said about my perspective being a little unusual. Um, Star Trek has always been about diversity. And I think it's important to recognize that if this show is going to continue to be popular, then it can't continue to be just what we old fans have had and, uh, and looked at. I mean, you know, you have to be, this show that is all about progressiveness has to continue to be progressive. And uh, we should embrace that progressiveness in terms not only of multiculturalism, but uh, in terms of being able to uh, you know, show uh, characters who might be trans, for example, or, uh, you know, a, a, any number of the um, infinite diversity and infinite cultures that has been celebrated by Star Trek. So anyway, all of that to say, I, I, I love it all, but particularly um, I, I really like of, of the new Star Trek that we have now. Uh, I really like Star Trek Prodigy. Um, I, I have been really impressed by that show. Uh, it is making a comeback now on Netflix. Season one uh, just became available. Season two has actually been done uh, for some time, and I gather that uh, Netflix is going to begin to air that uh, after its untimely cancellation on Paramount+. Plus. Um, I've also really enjoyed uh, Star Trek Discovery. It, you know, Again, it's not always the Star Trek that I recognize, but that's not necessarily a problem. You've got some very compelling characters, they are telling stories that are very timely and um, very exciting and interesting and engaging. Uh, Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Also, all of what I just said for that <laughs> with Discovery, you can repeat for Strange New Worlds. The only thing that I'm not crazy about in terms of Strange New Worlds is... Um, well, okay, there are a couple of things. And anytime you deviate from the established history of Star Trek, I'm going to take exception to it. And even if it's just a slight variation, assuming it's not in some alternate reality. And um, Captain Kirk's brother, George Samuel Kirk. Well, in the original series, we were told only Jim Kirk called him Sam. They're calling this guy Sam all over the place. They ain't calling him George, which is his name. He was not in Starfleet. He was a research scientist. That's another thing that kind of bothers me. But I'm I'm being a little nitpicky, and I've talked a lot. And, you know, I have I think I have finally actually answered the question in terms of a couple of shows. So I'm I'm going to stop talking now. Oh, that was so good. That was so good because you you not only gave like where you're coming from, which of course the listeners don't know, they're just meeting you for the first time, 
But you have given me, I think, the title of this episode, Yuli, Embarrassment of Riches. So thank you. And I didn't even pick up on the whole Sam issue. So I thank you. You know, like, let's be real here for a second, though. Okay. In the original (laughs) series, Sam Kirk, uh, George Samuel Kirk, I'm sorry, was just William Shatner with some spray tan and a mustache. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't even have any dialogue. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's like, it's one, it is one of my favorite scenes from the original series because it's like Sam and he rolls him over and it's like, William Shatner with a mustache. And it's like, <laughs> this is what you guys did. You could have found another actor. It's okay. But like, they were like, no, we got to show that he's his brother. And like, well, you know, look, they would have had to have paid another actor too. Oh, which Fair is the only enough. other thing. Yeah. But that's so. the only other thing I want to say. Cause there's some, there are some myths about Star Trek that have persisted. One of which is, is that it was a low budget show. It was not, it was one of the most expensive shows on television at the time so they actually could have paid somebody to you know be a uh, featured extra on the show but you know i mean again what you're saying is absolutely accurate in terms of oh yeah we want it to we want you want you to know it's kirk's brother it looks kind of like him <laughs> so yeah yeah um yeah, no, I, I that was that was all I had to say. Um, <laughs> one of the, just just to give you just to give you crap, basically, was all I was doing. <laughs> oh, that's fine. Yep. Hey, BJ. Hey, what Mariah. You, hey, BJ. What did you enjoy about 2023? What do you think could have been done better, and what are you looking forward to? You mean in terms of Star Trek? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not the rest of the world right now. Yeah. Um, so yeah. for the no. listeners, for the listeners, we just finished doing at the diner talking about all the things we watched in 2023 that was not Star Trek. So to be fair to BJ, we've been Let's making him back. hold off the, for about two hours now. So go for it, BJ. I really, I thought it was such a great year of of just so much Trekness. Um, like I said, just in such an abundance. I, I think it really says something about the journey that Prodigy itself went on. Um, because I think I think I was still finishing season one of Prodigy at the start of 23. Um, but was someone who like, you know, I, I put it on the one day thinking I just need something to fill time and I already like other Trek stuff, so whatever, it can't be bad. And was immediately hooked and, and think it's just some of the most compelling new writing in in the Trekverse. Um, so it was really wild, just the journey that that show went on, the series that it went on, the of from being canceled and, you know, hopefully like having new life that's going to keep it going and going now at Netflix. And I'm really happy for that because it's been exciting to start rewatching it. But um, I love the animated stuff, you know, I love Lower Decks. I I think I have rewatch season four i don't know at this point maybe another like half dozen times um i thought that so many i don't know there's something about just the 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 references all the illusions and and the and the even the the throwbacks the the jokes uh, that they keep building on um it's so so fun um you know, Moops, he's ever going to like have a pot spot in my heart. Um, but I also thought that like it was a great season opener with the Tuvix episode. That was super, super fun. Um, you know, I don't even know where to begin. So I just don't have to say much on it that y'all already know Subspace Rhapsody is like it. it I, it's still a part of how I breathe <laughs> every day. I think everything they did about that, everything. I, I, you know, again, that's another one. I just, I'll, I'll go to bat for on anything. I thought it was absolutely flawless. It's my favorite episode of uh, Strange New World. Although I have to admit, um, the one that we were saying was so much like a film. Uh, what was it? That third episode, Tomorrow, Tomorrow, Tomorrow. I think might, might also be like my other favorite episode of the season for Strange New World. Um, so that and Subspace Rhapsody uh, were, were my favorites up there. Um, I remember saying this before and I'll say it again that I don't I didn't need seasons one and two of Picard. I think everything about season three is golden and I loved it. I just didn't need any of the first two. Um, but I'm really happy with with uh, with what they did in that. And we'll see what comes of it. I mean, uh, you know, obviously they left things a little weird and open just on the end there for for what's going to come of Jack and Q and all of it. Um, 
But I was also thinking about just through the season. Um, my favorite episode in in the season for that was surrender because there was so much that was happening um the titan was taken hostage at that point by vatic and we were getting you know real high stakes again of people just being killed in moments we had uh data <laughs> come back um there was so much packed into that episode uh that was really really good um so uh yeah i thought that was that was a favorite one on there um i'm excited for more i'm you know as excited as I am heartbroken that we're going to be having our final season of Discovery coming because y'all know that I think I identify more with Burnham than anyone else um, in the whole Trek canon. Um, and so I'm just really, really excited for more on that and then seeing what will come after it. Um, and also really excited knowing that Michelle Yeoh's movie is in production. Like, let's go. I can't get enough of her. Um, let's see what, what the emperor shall be doing next. <laughs> totally agree with you, BJ. Mike, what are your thoughts? I alluded to this in some of the other podcasts that I've done at the diner specifically, where I talk about Star Trek and Star Wars and Marvel and all of these things that I love are just getting so much more content. And the one that I always felt was underserved was Star Trek. Because Star Wars was getting movies, you know, like continually. Um, same thing with with Marvel. Marvel's been chugging along for a while. But Star Trek was like the kind of the missing link with all of this. Because it's something that I loved so very much when I was a kid. And the fact that we're now getting to see all of these different series. Because initially it was just Discovery. And then it was Discovery. And then it was Strange New Worlds. And then it was Discovery. And then it was Picard. And it was Strange New Worlds. And then it was Lower Decks. And like, we're getting all of this stuff little by little. They keep adding more. But each one of those is different. And Lower Decks is is the... It's the older brother making fun of the younger brother. You can do it because... You, I'm the older brother, but if somebody else were to do it, it's wrong and I'll beat you up for it because they do it in a loving way. The Voyager episode, the two weeks episode is a perfect example of that. They both, you can tell how much they loved Voyager, but they shit on every single plot hole in that series. <laughs> like it's, it's, and it's hilarious. Like it, it really is. It's really, really well done. There's so many little things about that series that, that just, just nail that the people who are creating it are, are huge Star Trek fans. And they love it for its flaws, not only love the parts outside of that. And I say that to say this, Picard as a series, the three seasons that we've had was, was easily the most disappointing thing that I've seen in Star Trek ever because I loved the next generation so much. I loved the movies, the next generation movies so much. And the first season of Picard had such potential and there were so many cool things. And then just as you go back... As I'm watching it, I'm like, I love it. It's great. Star Trek stamped it. It's wonderful. But then in retrospect, I started looking back on it. And I'm like, there's so many plot holes here. There's so many issues. Like, this is sloppy. This was lazy. Like, the fact that, like, they were like, oh, hey, Picard has this disease. Um, but now he doesn't have this disease because he's dead. But now he's a robot. Ha! Huh? Who cares? It's like, well, then why did you create the disease in the first place? Question why for you, Mike. Yeah. Do you think... Um, if we didn't have all this other stuff, do you think you would be as hard on the first two seasons of Picard? Like if we didn't have Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks and stuff, just because, you know, Yuli's reference to embarrassment of riches, I wonder if that allows us, gives us the... If this was the only Star Trek we had, would we would we be grateful, basically? Yeah. Would it, would it be... Yeah. Would it be... Star, would it be uh, um would next generation forgive? would it be next generation season one <laughs> where it's 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 weird and there's there's just right. really horrible episodes really awful racial stereotypes where they go to a planet that's run by black people and they're nothing but stereotypes but everybody's like yeah it was season one and you give it a free pass <laughs> because i mean you know that yeah. tracks with because season yeah. one of picard not that great you know yeah. season one of next generation not yeah. that great but yeah. I, I was just curious yeah. Uh, look, I, I'm, oh. I'm just going to interject because, um, <laughs> yes. yeah, 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 I mean, again, it's one of those you had to be there moments. And you damn kids. I was, yeah, well, look, look. <laughs> be grateful. Be grateful for what we're getting. <laughs> just to offer some perspective. So I was hanging out with some um, mundane friends 
and we were getting ready to go out on the town. Define, and, I'm sorry, define mundane friends. Oh, uh, normals. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, non, yes, exactly, non, yes. non-dorks, yeah. Yes, okay, exactly. thank you. So, um, and we were getting ready to go out and uh, we were flipping channels on the TV and came across, and it was still, it was in, it was after the opening titles, but it was that scene of the first episode where uh, Q was on the bridge and he was changing into different forms. He's, I present myself to thee as a fellow ship's captain that my, my, that my, you might better understand me. And he's, and I was like, wait, this is because I recognized the uh, emblem on their unis. And I was like, this is that new Star Trek series. And everybody was like, oh, okay, well, let's watch this, you know? And so we sat there for the next two hours watching this before we went out. But the moment where they had me on that show, was at the end of the first hour where they have, um, you know, because the ship separates and then, you know, Riker does that uh, manual docking and all that. And anyway, but he goes to the main bridge because uh, he's looking for Commander Data and he sees Worf on the bridge. He's like, I'm looking for Commander Data. And Worf tells him, Commander Data is on special assignment. He's using our shuttlecraft to transfer an admiral back to the hood. He's like, a shuttlecraft? Why couldn't the Admiral have been back? I suppose he could, sir, but the Admiral is a rather unusual man. And cut to 137-year-old Leonard McCoy walking down the decks of the ship. And I'm like, oh, my God, it really is Star Trek. It, it, it really is Star Trek. <laughs> and from then, let me tell you something. You could have shown me anything <laughs> at that point. I was going to be like, okay, we go into the planet of the brothers next. Okay, that's fine. You know, <laughs> oh, you're retreading a bunch of old scripts. Hey, hey, no problem. Because it really was Star Trek. I mean, and that connection to this universe that I loved was worth any of that other stuff. And, and so, yeah, was it perfect? No, nah, not by a long shot. But it was Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. And bear in mind, and we, we hadn't had any of that for a long time. Again, so so I, I will go as far as to answer your question, Mariah. It, it, no, you're not going to be as hard on it if there ain't that much of it. <laughs> Absolutely not. That's fair. <laughs> With That's the embarrassment fair. of it. Yes, we can be nitpicky yeah. and as just try away, you know. Yes, let's scrutinize it. Let's pick it apart. Yeah. Because, again, there's so much of it. So, yes. I am. Um, <laughs> are not choosers. No. Um, to, to pivot off of what Yuli said, though, I, I agree. Um, at no point, even though there's plot holes and there's issues with this and why did we waste this character and all of those things, I'm never pulling the, well, this isn't Star Trek card. I'm never pulling, well, you've ruined my childhood. No, no, you didn't ruin my childhood. No, none of this ruined my childhood. Um, the aforementioned Planet of the Brothers. Um <laughs> It's and I remember watching it as a kid and not thinking anything of it. But now with the lens of being 41 and being able to watch these things that I watched when I was five or six and being like, oh, that's why that's offensive. Oh, shit. Okay. Um, the fact that at one point um, there's <laughs> there's a deaf character um, who uses. Oh, yeah. He has like a, yeah. yeah. He has a chorus. He has a choir of people who he telepathically communicates with and he uses them. They all got vaporized on the planet. Picard grabs him and shakes him and says, do you understand what I'm saying? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, no, what are you doing, Jean-Luc? No, what are you doing? Like, it's a different time. You got to measure time. things it by time. The, it was the 80s, man. <laughs> hey, like, look, That's the best part something. of looking back, though, because it lets you know, like, hey, this is where we yeah. were. Yeah, yeah. The, the original series honestly does not hold up that well. I mean, there is so much misogyny in oh, yeah. that show. Oh yeah. Oh my God. I mean, but you know, it just they were trying things, you know. But they were trying, and that was the thing is like they were they made a point of having a black woman on the bridge of the Enterprise right next to an Asian man. And we're only what, how far away from World War II were we at this point? Like 20 years? Like these are things that like were not nobody, like you said, it was still Westerns and shit. Like this, this was innovative. And like I say all of that to say that like in this year, I was able to appreciate that each one of the Star Trek series that we got this year was different. And I liked them for different things. Picard season three was like. Hey, do you like fan service? Like, 
mind you, this is the television talking to me. Hey, Mike, do you like Star Trek fan service? Well, yeah, I like that. How about we give you everything you've always wanted from Star Trek The Next Generation? And I'm like, okay, that sounds great. How about another episode of that? Well, that sounds even better. And they just kept doing it over and over and over and over again. And it took cues from the other series. It took cues from Lower Decks because at one point, and your favorite character in Picard, uh, Captain Shaw, starts ripping on Picard for all the dumbass decisions that he made. He was, he was like, oh, it's for the greater good. And he's like, really? What about the time that you hot dropped the uh, saucer section of the Enterprise onto a uh, planet that uh, had never had a, any sort of exposure? You know, prime Such directive. a delicious scene. Such oh, a man. delicious scene. He's like, he's like, what about when you jeopardized your entire ship so that you could bang some woman on Baku? Like, I mean, he's he's literally, he's just tearing him to shreds. And it's hilarious because he like looks at Riker and he's like, yeah, I guess I did do that, didn't I? Not only that, there was one, and I saw it on, again, TikTok, my favorite social media app. <laughs> they 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 paid something off that Riker had said in season two when he's in command of the ship. It's when the it's when that Iconian satellite uh, destroys the Yamato, like because it got that virus in, inside yeah. of it. Mm-hmm. And they go to the Iconian planet, and at one point the Romulans show up, and they can't raise their shields because their ship is like basically being rewritten. And at one point. Um, he's like, what about uh, Rikers in command? Because Picard's down on the planet. He goes, uh, do we have torpedoes? And they're like, no, sir. And he's like, if it should come to a, if it should come to the point where we need weapons, can I throw some rocks? And like, he's mad. You can tell. He threw a rock at Vatic in season three of Picard. Yes, he, he did. Used, he used the <laughs> yes, tractor beam to grab a fucking asteroid and chuck it at Vatic. And like. I can't tell you which of these series was my favorite in 2023 because there's just moments from each one of them that I absolutely loved. I absolutely loved that scene. I love that Riker came to grips with the fact that he has been a shell of himself since his son died. And he admitted that to Troy and Troy was basically like, you've been shut off from me for like 15 years. Like, that's wild. Like that we're getting all of this depth of character. I love that Worf is like Zen now. Like that was amazing. But not only that, like that he fell asleep on the bridge of the enterprise D was fucking hilarious. Like just, <laughs> just such a dad move too. like, it was a comfortable chair. I'm gonna pass out. Um, there's just so many moments from each one of these things that I absolutely loved. There were things where I was like, well, could we have gotten a little bit more exposition? Could we have explained this a little bit more? Could this have been done better? A hundred things. Yes. But, um, and I'm, I might be butchering the pronunciation of his name, Terry Metallus. He, he explained it really, really well because first off, he's a huge presence on social media. You ask him a question, he answers it, which is awesome. Mm. He was mm. saying there's so many deleted scenes. There's so much stuff. You have to fit all of these ideas into, what was it, 10 episodes? Mm-hmm. He's like, he couldn't fit all of it. He's like, there was a Janeway. Um, there was going to be a Janeway cameo, but he had to cut it. There, there were going to be all these cameos that he wanted to do, but he wasn't able to fit them all in. And like, I'm going to use a line from Picard to describe what I love about Star Trek in it was in season one when he because he gets real uppity like he always was Picard was very high and mighty like he's all oh, I'm, I'm better than this yeah, sort of shit and he did that when he left Starfleet because of the way they handled the Romulans and he said to um I can't remember her name right now um Data's d- daughter essentially Soji was that right Soji. Yeah. He says to Soji, he's like, I, I let perfect be the enemy of good. We named it an episode after that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that's what this is. Don't let perfect be the enemy of good with Star Trek. Don't be like, well, this wasn't perfect. This wasn't exactly the way it was supposed to be. It was good. It was fun. It was enjoyable. Same thing with Strange New Worlds. Strange New Worlds had some episodes that were incredible. BJ, you mentioned one of them. Um, tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. That was one of the most amazing episodes I've ever seen. It was so, they didn't do the thing where they made emotions muted for, for actors where it's like, you can't show real emotion because you're an action star. So you have to show one single tear. And that's how everybody knows you're sad. No, no. She like ugly cried like, and, and rightfully and rightfully so. Yeah, it was, and it was beautiful. Um, The episode where I, I just call it the PTSD episode um, with the um, where they're showing the Klingon war and they show what yeah. Chapel went through and they show what Mbenga went through and they like all of that like 
I, we talked about it on here. It, it was so expertly done because it wasn't just one perspective of what war is like. You saw the perspective of somebody who's been in it. You saw the perspective of somebody who was a sack of shit and lied about it. You saw the perspective of somebody who felt guilty because they weren't involved in war and don't, don't know how to talk to the people who were. Like that is in all the media that I've seen dealing with this sort of thing of people who were enlisted or had, had served this is one of the best versions of it I've ever seen because it, it hit every single nook and cranny of this very complex thing that many people deal with. Um, if I had to name a favorite, it's probably Strange New Worlds. Um, I don't know though, man. Like, it's hard. It is. I don't. I can't say that I have one favorite. Yeah. Um, we do, do have to mention that, like, yeah. the um, those old scientists crossover. We got a crossover. We got yeah. we got series crossover. Yeah. In the year yeah. of 2023. Yeah. But, not, but not, so like a, not like a DS9 TNG crossover, which is easy because it's all live action. We got an animated and live action crossover, which is fucking yeah. wild. And they made it work. Yeah, <laughs> they did. They made it work. And it was <laughs> fun. It was genius. It was and so you know, good. Yeah. They yeah. take risks. I, I think the reason Strange New Worlds is my favorite is because they take risks um, yes. that I've not seen before. And they... Yeah in a very genius way, make them all pay off. Oh yeah. Um, even just pulling the the Gorn into it because, you know, that's one of the dopiest, silliest monsters in, I understand I'm coming from a different Heresy. perspective. Heresy. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Dress this guy up like an alligator and give him some shiny eyes. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> 1966, from, from... that was like, Oh my God, what? it's a lizard thing. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing way too hard. I'm so sorry, but that's really funny to me. Yeah. Um, hey, that's the whole reason they did those remastered effects because the old 66 effects, even though they were state of the art at the time, they were pulling modern audiences out of yeah. the show. You know, yeah. I mean, that that's why I can accept that the Discovery Bridge looks so much better than the original uh the cage bridge because yeah. you got to appeal to a 2023 audience you can't show them these old sets and this old stuff you know even though this is supposed to be 10 years before star trek you yeah. know you have to have some flexibility there so no I, I i and that's one of those ways where i'm like you know what i accept this and i'm just gonna i'm i'm <laughs> i just got to accept it if i want this thing that I love to flourish, but I'm sorry I interrupted you. No, you were, you I think were going we're, on about we're all how... interrupting at this point because we're all <laughs> no, excited. Um, so that's that's just it. Like they the risk that they took with the Gorn is, and I know this happened like last season, but in introducing them, there's a risk that we would not the the new fans would not accept it because in our heads is that old version of it that to us looks so gimpy, um, but. It, they they made them so scary as a kind of homage to, you know, how scary they were supposed to be in, in the original series. They're so scary now and they made it work. And I just think that's one of those risks that they did brilliantly. Um, and I think that's why yep. Strange, while I love Picard and Lower Decks makes me giggle like no one else, um, Strange New Worlds is my favorite. And so I'm looking forward to that. I wanted yeah, to you know, add honestly, a point the real only quick. Thing, yes. But, um, no. Sorry, Yuli. And then I'll, I'll, I'll just a quick point. Um, with Strange New Worlds that they do, and it's both genius, but it was also a giant middle finger to fanboys complaining about uh, canon. In Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, the Romulan explained why things keep changing. Because they keep going back in time trying to fuck with stuff and trying to like eliminate the Federation. And every single time they do and they fail, it fucks up the timeline. And I was like... That's genius. You literally can, you can explain away anything now. It made sense within the concept of what Star Trek is without being like lazy. It wasn't just like, ah, time travel or something. That's why it's different. No, they were like, this is what we're trying to do. And you're just like, yeah, Romulans be diabolical. They be doing that. All right. I, I'll accept it. It, it's, it just makes it more fun, but it also opens up everything. It, you can literally explain away everything. Why does the bridge look different? Romulans, fuck them with the timeline. Mm. Well, okay. On the heels of that, I am going to complain about uh, not adhering to canon. And so, you know, what bothered me more with the Gorn was in that, and I appreciate that explanation because that that really helps, honestly. 
but uh, in in the original episode arena um the impression was that the federation had not had much exposure to the gorn and so uh, in strange new worlds the impression that you get is oh yeah we're familiar with the gorn we've interacted with them we've had first contact and all that and so I, I just that troubled me based on what had been presented in the original series more than any change in the appearance of that particular species. So, you know, th- there was that. The other thing that bothers me, even even though it's like, I, I like Strange New Worlds, you don't have to go. I mean, they're falling all over themselves trying to present characters that are familiar to viewers. Now, um, Uhura be okay. Yeah. Cadet Uhura on. All right. You really? Okay. All right. Chapel. Really? Okay. You know, and, and I understand part of it is we're trying to create some diversity. I mean, Dr. Mbinga. Uh, all right. Yeah. You know, it's like, but none of these people should be on the ship then, you know, with Pike, that was all post Pike. And, you know, it, it, like I said, it, it just it just bothers me a little bit in terms of the purest in me, even though I, I like what all of these characters have done and all of them serve very vital functions in terms of the storylines and what the characters have done and how they've contributed. So, you know, that's just, you know, my get off my lawn, you doggone kids moment here. <laughs> I love it. Well, it's the Romulans' fault, remember? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they keep going back, trying to change stuff. It's like those damn Romulans. So I Which think... is a really great explanation. <laughs> <laughs> you can do all sorts of... They have so much creative license now. I feel like that um, needs to oh. be a Lower Decks episode. Oh, okay. Romulans. So there yes. wasn't there wasn't an episode, but there was a moment in Lower Decks that is so fucking dead on about the Romulans, and I loved it. It was... It was um, in the most recent season, and um, uh, Nick um, Lacerno's little ship that he had that was flying around. Like yeah. the Romulans were trying to figure out what happened to the other Romulan ship, and they're like, "What are we?" They're like, "What should we do, Sub Commander?" He's like, "Well, we should go somewhere, and we should cloak so that we can scheme and plot." And I was like, "Yes, that's the Romulans. They don't actually do anything. They just scheme and plot the whole time. It's fucking brilliant." Yeah, like one of those laugh out loud moments when I'm watching the show. Yeah. <laughs> Freaking Romulans. <laughs> always the Romulans. <laughs> so, Yuli, one of the things that you talked to me about back last year when we had a phone conversation was what it was like at the very beginning of, of the fandom. So, I, full disclosure, I have never been to a con ever. It's, You'd like it. You should I, go. It's something I want to do. But you've been to them, right, Yuli? I have been to a number of conventions over the years. And what was it like, mm. especially your first? Well, in the beginning, see, okay. So um, the very first Star Trek convention that I went to uh, was, it? well, they didn't even start having these things until the early 70s. And they sprang out of the fact that fans were trying, there was a, there was a slogan that uh, that was became popular it was star trek lives because uh, that again looking at it from the perspective of the time if you had a network tv show that was on and then it got canceled well that was it <laughs> that was that was going to be the end of that and you were never going to see any of this stuff again and so when star trek got canceled i mean and this is despite the fact that there were th- th- these model kits that were associated with the show because the Enterprise model kit uh, that had been put out by uh, AMT at the time sold over a million units. And, you know, this was before you had merchandising that was a part of TV and, and movies like that. I mean, this was unheard of, you know, and it, it, NBC and Desilu and then Paramount did not understand what they had or how to maximize what this was. Other, and in fact, NBC, within a couple of years, they re, I mean, when the show got popular in syndication, NBC acknowledged that they had canceled it too soon. And they were trying to get uh, Paramount to do a new Star Trek that they could air. But Paramount wasn't interested because the, the syndicated episodes were so lucrative, they were afraid of cutting into the syndication market. 
So anyway, though, but fans were desperate to keep this whole thing alive. Gene Roddenberry had a uh, merchandising company called Lincoln Enterprises, where he was selling, uh, you know, patches and uh, idicts and all the scripts and all sorts of other stuff. And so fans started having these gatherings. I want to say, I want to say the first one was in New York and uh, they got about 2000 people there. And, you know, some of the stars for the show come out and, you know, but very quickly uh, people realized that there was going to be a market for this. And so, you know, the shows started attracting more guests where I think the first one, there were about 2000 people that came. Well, there was another one and then 4,000 people and then they had 10,000 people. And at the same time, well, you know, this was by the early uh, 70s, like 72, 73. And there was already talk about um, the show coming back or possibly a movie. And, uh, you know, Gene Roddenberry had uh, been engaged by Paramount to write uh, a script for a film. Um, he wrote something about uh, it dealing with the existence of God. And Paramount didn't know what in the hell to do with it. And they were still interested in doing it, but they got some other writers to try and do some stuff too. But in the meantime, uh, you know, the fandom was exploding. Um, Filmation, uh, which did uh, animated uh, television shows uh, for Saturday morning, approached Gene Roddenberry about doing an animated version of Star Trek. So they ultimately did that. And in 1973, um, Star Trek, the animated series debuted on uh, NBC TV on Saturday morning. And there had been real concern among fans uh, about because Saturday morning was a, a wasteland of nonsense at the time. And it was, uh, you know, a lot of real silly stuff. And uh, Star Trek broke the mold of that, the animated series, because it was it was it uh, again it really was star trek it was played very seriously they didn't add cadet characters or you know any kind of thing like that you know it was the crew that you recognized i mean with a couple of differences i mean threw in some aliens and uh, gene roddenberry and the story editor uh, dorothy fontana uh, realize that whatever you could imagine, you could draw and you could depict on this show. And so uh, they took full advantage of that in terms of the stories. And, you know, there were still noted science fiction uh, writers uh, like Larry Niven, who came in writing for the thing. But this helped in terms of keeping Star Trek in the public eye and helping to promote the fandom. And, uh, you know, of course, this is coming on the heels of the fandom having kept the show alive for a third season with that uh, letter writing campaign, deluging NBC with over a million individual individual pieces of mail, you know, because the show was supposed to have been canceled after the second season. That was something else that was unheard of, a show that was canceled and then uncanceled because, you know, the fans, uh, you know, had this onslaught. So um, anyway, though, but there was a slogan that became popular. It was Star Trek lives. And the whole idea was you can't kill this show, you know, re regardless of, you know, whatever efforts you make, uh, the fandom is going to continue to embrace this. And we are going to dress up in our costumes and we are going to gather and we are going to celebrate the stars and the creator of the show. We're going to watch this thing on syndicated television to where ratings wise, the syndicated episodes of Star Trek that were airing were beating out network shows that were airing opposite them. And that was part of the reason that NBC was like, oh, wow, we, we fucked up. <laughs> you know, we shouldn't have canceled this show. It's this is crazy, you know. But uh, unfortunately, that was also uh, a lot to do with Gene Roddenberry, where I, I had mentioned uh, Lost in Space earlier, where, you know, they didn't particularly care about how scientifically accurate anything was. Uh, similarly, the creator of Lost in Space, a guy named Irwin Allen, whatever the network wanted him to do, he would do. It was like, yeah, fuck it, you tell me what you want and I'll do it. Where Gene Roddenberry was really recalcitrant with that i mean he was thumbing his nose at, at literally biting the hand that fed him you know to mix my metaphors here 
you know, that didn't go over well. And, and so he was so difficult to work with. I mean, you know, because the show, and this was the other myth uh, about Star Trek, where they say that the ratings were never particularly good. But in fact, it generally either won its time slot or came in second. And ratings wise, it was successful enough that there were shows that had worse ratings than Star Trek that were renewed. But part of NBC's issue was that Gene Roddenberry was so difficult to work with. They were like, you know what? We would just as soon cancel this thing. And uh, unfortunately it was, uh, you know, throwing out uh, the baby with the bathwater in that this was one of their most popular shows. And again, culturally significant and they just didn't recognize it. But um, yeah, it was, it was, it was a, a fun time because, you know, all these people who were of similar mindsets and, uh, you know, especially gathering, uh, you know, for these conventions, the, the very first convention that I went to was in the San Francisco Bay area. And I, I had been staying out in the Bay area with my aunt uh, for the summer. And I had been to a couple of Marvel comics conventions, uh, in, um, 74 and 75 in New York. And, uh, you know, so I'm out there and I'm like, well, I like, I like Star Trek too. What the heck? Star Trek convention. Yeah. Let me go. You know? So I volunteered, uh, to be a, a gopher, you know, go for this, go for that, you know, and I got in free and I had to watch some doors for, uh, on occasion, but you know, I mean, it was fun to get out there. Now, of course, uh, the, the, nature of everything especially technology wise being so different one of the things that you had at the early conventions were they would show star trek episodes you know and of course again this was before vhs and betamax and all that when you could just watch it whenever you wanted and so if if you didn't see it on tv you couldn't see it and so you know they, they these episodes got a lot of traction when they would show them in the at, at the conventions and also uh, fan films, actual episodes that had been made by fans or homages that had been made by fans. Are these uh, were shown can, can in these, these conventions. be found? Can these be found? Like, are they uh, some, out there somewhere? Some of, some of them can. <laughs> you know? And in fact, uh, I looked up a guy. Uh, this guy's name was Doug Hamby, and I'll never forget because he did. Uh, and he was he was a kid, you know, I mean, but he did a full hour long episode of Star Trek that was airing at one of these shows. He also did a uh, stop motion animated uh, Star Trek short using G.I. Joe's. And um, I ended up looking this guy up um, a couple of years ago and connected with him on social media because I just wanted to say, hey, Doug Hamby, thanks a lot. He's not even working in like film or television or anything. I was like, dude, I thought you were a shoe in for that, you know, but, uh, you know, watching these, uh, things that you did at these old conventions actually inspired me, you know, to want to do film and television and go into some of that. Um, yeah, you can go on, uh, YouTube and, you know, search for Star Trek fan fiction. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that'll come out. In fact, uh, today, uh, there are there is a set down in Georgia. There's also another one in Ticonderoga, Ticonderoga New York. Uh, a couple of fans have actually rebuilt the uh, old uh, Star Trek uh, sets. You know, they, they shoot fan fiction there. I mean, in fact... The one in Georgia is called Neutral Zone Studios, and you can you can look them up online. Uh, they have various rules for uh, what you have to do if you want to use them. You know, people shoot. I mean, and these are actual recreations of the bridge and the briefing room and the transporter room and the engine room and the crew quarters and all of that. that hallways, you know, corridors and stuff. They got all of this stuff down there at these various uh, studios and it's really something to see uh, so there are um, fan fiction shows one is called star trek phase two another is called star trek continues and these are worthy successors to the original star trek series but yeah so this whole culture sprang out of all this stuff and you know a part of it was the fact that Gene Roddenberry really inspired something in all of the fans of the show because 
you you either want you want it hell it's like we're all we're all sitting here so we have rank we're you know it's like we're sitting on doing this show i mean you know everybody aspired to be in starfleet or a klingon or you know a, a, a treacherous romulan or a vulcan or something you know the show it allowed so many fans to express themselves in a lot of ways that uh, people hadn't before and you know, to find like-minded fans and to stretch all of that. It's like nothing I have ever experienced and the camaraderie of people, you know, which was demonstrated by the camaraderie of the characters, you know, because one of the things that Star Trek taught me, and it's a hell of a lesson, but it's that there are some things that are worth dying for. And it's like, wow, I'm, because you know, I mean, they, they get really deep on that show, and 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 you know, the fact that they're willing to sacrifice uh, for each other, and you know that they have these ideals and principles, uh, you know that they you know sometimes are a little flexible, but for the most part, that they adhere to, you know, it's it's again, it's inspira- It's nothing short of inspirational. Did you ever dress so, up? Oh heck yeah! <laughs> what did you wear? Yeah. Come, come on, tell us what what did you wear? Oh there's my pic- goodness! There's I, pictures floating around on social media of you and uh, absolutely one of these, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah, you know, but yeah, but uh, original series. Uh, you know, I was always a gold tunic kind of guy. You know, <laughs> I wanted to be the captain of the ship. Uh, I've also done uh, Captain Cisco uh, in terms of uh, you know later the Star best Trek captain mm-hmm. ever. Hey, you know, I mean, it it, it is. Um, you know, because I because I'm I'm something of a why well, I well I'm some of a purist even when it comes to my cosplaying and uh, you know I'm I'm willing to stretch it a little bit because uh, I I've always loved Captain Kirk but Cisco was a natural you know in terms of that but I I love those original series uniforms and uh, and actually I guess the the next generation uniforms that they started wearing in season three and I've never made one of those. But I think those are probably my favorite uh, Star Trek outfits uh, with the, the little collar, the higher collar, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And those were those were really clean, boy. Those uniforms. BJ, Mike, have you guys been to a con? No, I don't, not yet. I don't get along, uh, and I haven't talked to him in, in quite some time. My dad, um, but one of my favorite memories as a kid is he took me to a Star Trek convention. I just completely dorked out. He was a Star Trek nerd too, so it, it worked out well. Even as a little kid, and Next Gen, Next Gen was on the air, but I was still more of the original series movies fan. So, like the the badge that they have, where it's like it's got the um, the Delta, but it's like almost like an oval in a way for like those red uniforms that they wore. I got one of those, and like I just remember seeing all of these Star Trek people there and thinking it was just the coolest thing ever. Um, I just enjoyed every minute of it. I got to grow into it and see it as it already existed. And, but what's been awesome for me is like for people like our age, the internet was so integral to our lives early on. Like we grew with the internet and watching the Star Trek communities grow on the internet has been amazing. There's a guy on YouTube called Mr. Trek and this dude in England is building, I can't remember what the scale of this, this thing is, but it is the biggest model of the Starship Enterprise ever oh, being Oh yeah. Yeah, buddy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like yeah. he's mm-hmm. making it out of like cardboard and you would think like cardboard this is going to look cheesy as hell. No, this thing is so incredibly detailed and f- like it- it's fantastic. Like it has working lights. You can see the corridors. There's rooms. There's there's things on the wall. This guy has put so much detail into this thing. It is incredible like what this guy has been doing. And like I love that there's so many people that love Star Trek that much that they devote their time and their, their energy and their money. Like this, there, there's no way this is cheap. Like this dude's making essentially what's going to end up being like a 40 or 50 foot long model of the enterprise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's been even more endearing to me is as a kid, you couldn't talk about it. At least I couldn't in, in the school that I went to in the, in the areas that I went to, you had to like talk about Star Trek and hushed tones because if anybody heard you, the cool kids heard you, you'd get picked on, you'd get called a nerd. Like it, you so just could you couldn't, you couldn't talk about it. And like watching that, that is gone now. I remember being a little kid and thinking to myself, I was like, I just wish I knew other people who like Star Trek as much as I do. 
And then finding out that there were a ton of people that I went to high school with that did, but we never talked about it because <laughs> we were all like, I don't want to get beat up. <laughs> it's, it's just wild to me. People are now unapologetic. I have a friend who's been a supporter of GGR since the very, very beginning. Her son's name is James Tiberius. <laughs> like that, his first and middle name is James Tiberius. Like that, that's so cool that, you know, like we don't have to hide this anymore, but like you now get to see people do these amazing things that they've always wanted to do. Like I've always wanted to have this. I've always wanted to build this. I've always wanted to dress like this and there's no longer a stigma around it. I, I want like, a, I want one of the combats. I want like the actual, like, I want like a gold a, BJ. I think you have one. I do. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen them in your pictures. Like I want one of those. Like it's on my work bag all the time. Like that's... I make sure that Tucker is with me everywhere I go. Always keep that thing on me. Yeah. <laughs> it's now okay. It was never not okay to be it, but you can proudly show these things and wear these things seeing that there's new generations of kids picking this up, that there's people who can identify with this that never really were able to identify with anything. Yuli, did you find that you couldn't talk about it? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Wow. I mean, not just, okay. Cause there, there's like, uh, it, when you're with mundanes and then there's when you're with your, you know, See, your that crew. Cracks me up. That's a, Cause it's, <laughs> it's true. I get it all the time. Yeah. Just now. I didn't know if that was the case all the time. Cause I, I often will get like the, the pretty girl tax where um people are like you don't look like someone who would like it so i, I get that a lot and i'm like all well, star trek fans are ugly and fat and it's bizarre live in their parents basement yeah exactly. unjustified yeah. bizarre so i was just curious if that's been something all throughout the trekkie fandom history and maybe that adds to the specialness of those cons because that's a place where you're you're safe to go all out and and let your entire um, Trek flag fly. Absolutely. You know, and, and in fact, um, you know, that is probably the key element to what made all those particular gatherings as special as they were, you know, because uh, understanding that all of us loved this thing and that we could be free to express uh, how we felt about the show and to indulge uh, our desire to dress up like these characters and to espouse the ideals of Starfleet and the Federation, uh, you know, and, and to do it without fear of how it was going to be received uh, because you were in the company of like-minded fans. BJ, if you were to go to the San Francisco con how would you dress? Because I, one of my goals this year is to get myself to a con. I mean, I have a freaking podcast about Star Trek. I might as well get myself to one. So I'm curious, since you, you also have not been to the one. podcast from the con. Uh, I would right? probably oh, yeah, go for sure. as, yeah. especially in this coming year, I'd probably go as, I'd either do some sort of play on um, Burnham from one of these past few seasons, or I'd do Booker. Um you'd have to get a big cat too so you can have <laughs> yeah, um, yeah yeah exactly your, your queen with you yeah <laughs> but i would i would probably do do some like one of those something out of discovery i always liked their looks too and I, I that's a part of the thing that i did i've liked about their time jump of just that like we've we, we got to have one of these absurd Trek moments of the outfits have just been wildly different from season to season, scenario to scenario, particularly with Discovery because of the way the story's gone. And I love that about it. It, it, it reminds me of DS9 in, in the fashion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of, I would go as Kira. Hands down. Oh, <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. A great character. Mm -hmm. I don't know who mm -hmm. I'd go as. Kira gave me permission as a teenager to be angry in public. She and Alanis Morissette, which was your doppelganger. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, I feel like at this point, like with the gray hair and the fact that my hair kind of tends to do the swoopy thing, I like, I would be doing myself a disservice if I didn't go as Pike. Right. Yeah. Yep. Get, like, some, get some facts. level, get some lift. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I could do that. Well, and that's a character that you like. So, you know, it is. I mean, why not? 
Yeah, I, I I think it would be Pike. I mean, part of me wants to be Kirk, but I don't I, I don't have the the hair for Kirk or yeah, no, I can't pull it off. Pike hair's to... better hair anyway. Yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Does anyone have any last minute questions for you, Lee, or comments? I, I, I want to throw one out there though, while we still have the Commodore here, and it's actually for all of us. Um, somehow it didn't come up yet, and I feel like feel terrible about it on my own. Um, what did you all think of uh the very short tracks that also dropped in 2023 if you checked them out now if you haven't checked out very short tracks you need to go check out very short tracks so that you can have an opinion about it because they're so they're, they're so worth they're, they're worth so seeing great. and feeling ways about it <laughs> they're so great they're i haven't so seen them i haven't seen them either they're like i think you could watch all of them in maybe like 30 minutes like they're and, oh less less yeah. not even 10 minutes not like some of them are just oh like God. two and a half minutes maybe a couple of them are three minutes oh um the one was the one panic. was spock the one with spock was the best like, <laughs> <laughs> the christmas party is so yes. good um yeah it's it, it, uh, okay well Hang we'll on. have to do a follow-up uh gonna get a link right now Hang on. i need to know your thoughts <laughs> um both of you oh yeah no you both actually really do need to go watch those and then <laughs> we'll have to talk mm. about it at another point in time they they culminate it was celebrating the animated series what was it celebrating the 50-year anniversary of the animated series that yeah. they released these yes. five episodes um that are just they're like nothing i don't mike i don't know if you have a way to describe them i don't i don't know how to describe imagine okay so <laughs> it's like lower decks only like even more absurd like yes. the, the the put upon that they have for it just in general is so absurd for instance there just to give you the quick premise of one of them kirk's on the bridge of the enterprise the original enterprise and every single time he makes a euphemism for somebody uh, for something somebody gets offended by it because he's just <laughs> like he's like um there's more than one way to skin a cat and i can't remember the officer's name that's an actual like anthropomorphic cat person but she's like what is that supposed to mean and he's like oh it's a it's a euphemism and he's like oh and like and every single time he does another euphemism there's another person on the bridge that embodies that yeah Yeah. that embodies that like (laughs) that sounds wonderful he's like we're talking about the nuts and bolts of it and somebody who's like an actual nut and bolt he's like i've never even seen you on (laughs) the ship who are you (laughs) something about making an ass out of himself then there's giant talking ass that's offended you know asses are very smart (laughs) (laughs) sounds like fever dreams <laughs> oh yes, but it, in, oh, it's so great. It's I'm I'm. I got the link. Every yeah. episode is is its own. Like there's no <laughs> there's no follow through. It's no. just no. yeah. There's it's no. almost like the what ifs that Marvel has done, but yes. if but only, also with the lower decks crude touch yeah. with it. Yeah. If yeah. they were absurd, what if if they were absurd? Just if you go, if you go to YouTube and you just type in very short tracks, you'll find them, and they're they're an, an absolute they're delight. Good. Yeah, they're worth it. <laughs> I'm going to check mm. it out. I just wrote it down. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Hey, one thing that I just got to throw in uh, about uh, Strange New Worlds, and it was that uh, Those Old Scientists episode, um, because uh, as as much fun as that was, probably my favorite thing in that show was when Boimler got to tell number one about her presence on the poster, you know, and after that episode earlier in the season where she had been court-martialed and all of that, I mean, it's like, I got, I got tears in my eyes when he was telling her, you know, that, oh, wait, you're going to be the poster child for like Star Star Street recruitment. You know, it was just like, oh man, it's so beautiful. I totally forgot about that broader context of that because they're so episodic i think i forget that there's there is a through line for all these characters i forgot that she went through all of that before he says that to her that's such a great point ad astra prospera well it's funny is you get you get a yin and yang effect there because you get the positive that boimler does with that but you also get the negative of he tells chapel that (laughs) that that spock is an emotionless Vulcan like he is like he's I, I don't know what happened and it literally triggers Chapel to be like well, fuck this means that our relationship is definitely not going to work if the future knows that he's like this then this tells me exactly what I need to do so it's it's very like catch 22 which one of these things actually caused 
the future to be the way that it is? Was Boimler always meant to go back in time and tell Chapel this so that Chapel would be willing to go with Roger Corby to do her search, like research? Like, yeah, it's 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 crazy when you start thinking about it. That was like, the Romulans yeah. too. It was the Romulans. Oh, it was a fucking Romulans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a Blame it on the Roms. I'm going to say that in my regular daily life when something goes wrong, I'm going to be like, oh, this darn Romulans. And no one's going to know what I'm saying. <laughs> but that'll be a way to out, you know, whatever quiet yeah. Star Trek nerd is around me. They, they may exactly. start giggling. I'll be like, ha ha. <laughs> Who left the oven exactly. on? I know I turned the oven off. But Romulans. In real life, our special guest, Ulysses Campbell, is an actor, independent producer, and comics sci-fi aficionado. He is also host of the Fantastic Forum radio show on WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. Mike Lunsford is editor-in-chief, podcaster, graphic artist, and writer at Great Geek Refuge. He's also hard at work in raising the next generation of nerds and faithfully posts his meals on Insta. William B.J. Robinson, pronouns he, they, is a queer, black, and Puerto Rican arts educator based in San Diego, as well as an actor and composer. B.J. is also the director of music at Christ United Presbyterian Church, the creator and host of Tough Talk, a platform that focuses on getting comfortable with the uncomfortable through community conversations, and host of KPBS Arts, a local PBS TV show all about arts and culture across the United States. For more information, just search at WillBJRob and or at Tough.Talk2020 on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Playwright Mariah Beachboard's pronouns are she, her, and she is a podcaster for GGR. She raises a geeky family and keeps it real in Rocket City, Alabama, which is the ancestral home of the Muscogee Nation. And to you, dear listeners, stay tuned for our next episodes. Check out our Instagram for exclusive content at Federation Conversations and email us love mail, hate mail, or junk mail at federationconversations at gmail.com. Also, please drop by greatgeekrefuge.com to discover all the amazing happenings. We also have a very active Facebook group you can join called The Great Geek Refuge Group. And last of all, my friend, we pray you feel truly seen by those you love. Thank you for listening. Well, I didn't realize you were out in San Francisco. Um, I uh, Sa- San Diego. Oh, oh, San Diego. So, so there's a thing oh, that, that my brain does where it, it mixes. <laughs> and I have done this the entire time I've known BJ. I have assumed he <laughs> lived in the other San city. Francisco. I always. Hey, BJ, what's the Golden Gate Bridge like? <laughs> <laughs> Don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> How about oh. them giants? <laughs> <laughs> I'd be happy to. And thank you so much for having me as a part of this. I mean, you guys, what, what you all are doing is important to the fandom. And it's a heck of a lot of fun. I have just been over the moon at having been able to participate. So thank you so much for uh, enab- uh, allowing me to join you on this episode. <laughs>